What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined once again by Coach Andrea. Andrea, thank you for being here as always. Hey, glad to be back on. So fill us in. What is going on with your training and nutrition this month? I am just this week um, starting a systemic metabolic uh, mesocycle. So I've been in neuro for a very long time and also have been low carb for a very long time. So I finally have increased carbs this week um, that came with a decrease in fat and then also this new training. So it's, it's really good. I am, it's much more like I naturally would eat. <laughs> I don't yeah. like eating a lot of dietary fat. Uh, and I don't like trying to keep my carbs low, it, even just like with vegetables at that point, it's like, I have to limit things. Um, mm-hmm. so it's nice to be able to eat regular food. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It is just such a change in diet. Um, like for a while before I, like before I understood nutrition, I followed like a paleo-ish diet for a while, mm-hmm. which was just like, hey, I just need a lot of healthy fats and protein and like keep my carb sources relatively limited. So I was eating like a ton of ribeye covered in olive oil. And then I was always like putting a bunch of like grass-fed butter on stuff and like eating yeah. a ton of nut butter. That's funny because when I did paleo, I did like chicken breast and sweet potatoes. <laughs> so it was still carb. <laughs> we had different interpretations on paleo. For yeah. <laughs> for me, it was like, hell yeah, I can eat. Like there was, for where I lived at the time, there was like this store that had like cheap ribeye always and every day on the way home from training clients. That was like when I was first starting training, I would uh, just grab like two ribeye. It, it was the best, but now <laughs> it's like, I remember transitioning and I like, I feel like it's the same thing though, like working in protein into your diet, right? Like with clients that we work with, it does eventually get to the point where this is like, Hey, this is just how you habitually eat. And the beauty of that is like, if you eat like a higher protein diet, you typically will like naturally just be able to stay leaner because that's going to be more satiating. You're probably, if you're making your food choices around protein, you're almost always like finding the options on the menu that are like the lowest calorie per volume as well. So like it naturally, like you'll stay leaner and you'll be more satiated because protein is the most filling burns most calories during digestion. But, um, like at the start, that is a big shift for people, right? Because it's literally like a such a deviation from what you've been doing before, whereas most people are typically eating like more carbs and more fat or like oftentimes just more fat. Um, it is though interesting now, like just how much I feel like your taste for stuff like that changes too. Like for me now, like a ribeye, I just like really don't like the taste of like it's so fatty and yeah. Um, and it's interesting how that changes. So I'm glad you've got, because I bet they go into like a higher fat, just like your food choice choices have to change so much as well. Um, I bet that's a lot easier to stick to. It is. Yeah, it is a lot easier. <laughs> so you're liking the systemic metabolic phase then? I am. Yeah, we just talked about this. <laughs> so you don't prefer <laughs> systemic. Oh, um, I I, I'm liking it. So it's basically like a compound lift with a like superset with a um, more of an isolation movement for the antagonist muscle. So for example, an RDL with a leg extension. So you're working a lot of like a big compound lift, a lot of musculature at once, but focused on the hamstrings and glutes. And then um, pairing that with something that isolates the quads. And then it, for the next movement, this is like obviously a lower body day. Um, The next pairing would kind of flip it. So it's more of like a knee dominant 
uh, flexion movement and then like an isolation for the hamstrings. And there's only about 45 seconds rest between everything and eight to 10 reps. And I really am liking it right now. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. So when I ran systemic metabolic, it was posterior anterior. So basically it would be like an upper body, lower body superset, as opposed to like sticking with lower on one day and upper. I think that might've been part of it too, because it was like just a lot of like, okay, I'm going to go from a deadlift to a pull down, which like in like 45 seconds rest. And like between those two, like that's a lot of muscle tissue that you've worked like over that superset. Yeah. So I, I, I guess I can see. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like that better or no? Uh, gosh, it's been a while now, so it's hard to remember, but I don't remember disliking it, but I also, I think it's just the timing of this phase. Like I've been doing neuro for so long. I've been eating like the low carbs for so long. And now it's like I get more carbs and I get to train a little bit, not harder necessarily because neuro is, you know, it's as hard as you make it, but it's different. And I like get more of a pump and it's more fun, I think. Yeah. It's just a completely different stimulus. That makes sense. So what are your physique goals then for the next year? What do you want to accomplish? I want to stay relatively lean. Like I'm not in any rush. I don't need to go through like a serious build phase because I already feel like I have quite a bit of muscle. Um, I just kind of want to add in, in specific areas. Like I want a little bit more hamstrings. Um, I want a little bit more shoulders and I don't want to have to cut down as much (laughs) as I did this past diet. That was too much. (laughs) (laughs) I know we were just talking about that as well. Yeah. Uh, cool. I like that. So it sounds like hamstrings and shoulders are a priority going forward. Yeah. Do you think you guys will do any type of specialization training for that or kind of just continue with a balanced approach? Yeah, I don't really know. I can definitely tell that um, this past year, my training has been Mommy. a lot more focused on Mommy, hamstrings. Yeah, go get it, go get it. It's been focused a lot more on hamstrings than on quads. And there's, there's, it's more with shoulders. It's been frequency. So that's kind of been the approach so far. But again, that's been like in, during a lot of dieting and not so much in a build. Yeah. (laughs) That is definitely an, that is definitely a good point as well. Um, With, the the difference between like hamstrings and delts and i mean delts can just recover from a lot of frequency i know like from who we work with like from a coaching perspective it has been interesting to see like how freak like i know i have like every time i train upper body i'm doing some type of like delt fly variation or really like at least two which is which is fun but it is definitely a lot of like more frequency but less overall volume within my training right now we're in a mechanical tension phase so we've been doing like a lot of lengthen and then shorten supersets, mm-hmm. which has been so fun. I think it's this is like killer. my favorite. Fa- they are they are killer, but I think this has been like one of my favorite phases of training that I have done in like a very in years. It's it's been it's been great. Um, I've had so much fun with it that I've been like a lot of my clients that were due for a hypertrophy phase. We have also. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're good. Go ahead, bud. 
So um, for the people listening, my husband was going to be here during this to uh, watch the the dogs and my son. And they had a um, shrimp ring emergency that he had to go into the office for. He's a seafood guy at Walmart. So <laughs> they're just I'm like sorry. a bunch of shrimp, like taking over yeah. Walmart. Shrimp emergency. <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm sorry for that interruption. Go ahead. It is not a problem at all. So that, that's been fun. I know like a lot of my clients that were due for hypertrophy phases, we've been doing like, I've had so much fun with that, that like short and length and superset on a lot of things that we've been doing something similar, a decent amount. It, it is just cool to, it's cool to like understand the relationship too. And like, even like, okay, we can program again, like a wrist height lateral raise with a dumbbell lateral raise. Where we're going to like have a one second pause at the top and it can mm-hmm. go from like that length and overload to short and overload. So that's been that's been very fun cool um let's go ahead and get into the questions you ready to go with that ready cool all right first question i have is how do i convince my friend that is doing 50 plus reps per set that it is junk volume what's your take on that is it junk volume i i would say it's junk volume uh i don't think you can go that high in reps while still having the target muscle be the thing that fails at that point. It's just like an endurance thing. Um, (laughs) as far as convincing them, I mean, you could point them to some good content. Uh, and, but I don't think like someone like maybe you or I's words coming out of their mouth (laughs) might not be convincing. Like people just don't listen to their friends and loved ones (laughs) about that kind of stuff. Uh, but I would just say, um, maybe like say, Hey, have you thought about this type of a program or what's like, what's your, what's your goal with that? Why, why are you doing so many reps? And then maybe point them towards somebody that they would listen to. But I don't know. What do you think about that, about convincing them? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I don't know if like per set, it's necessarily like in the realm of junk volume. It's just, well, yeah, I would say yes, because it's not effective volume. So yeah, you're right. I would say it probably is junk volume. Yeah. I guess I assumed it was per set, not like five sets of 10. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it is like over 50 reps per set. So I mean, typically if we look at junk volume, we think of it as like, okay, like you've done more than like, let's say eight to 10 movements for this muscle group in this training session. So that's like you kind of past the amount that you can recover from. So the rest of the volume is just volume you can't recover from or grow from as junk volume. But I mean, yeah, really, I think we look at junk volume as just like ineffective volume, right? Mm-hmm. Really, we have research that shows that once we get past like our like 30% of our one rep max, once we get lighter than that, which is about approximately something a weight you can do for 30 reps, then like the amount of stimulus that we get as far as building muscle is going to be less. Right. So like if, even if she was doing sets of 30, which would also be awful. Um, but (laughs) even then, like she could be getting more per set than she is currently. So what I would say, or I'm, I don't know why I'm assuming this is a woman, but uh, whatever, uh, I would tell them to listen to this podcast. I think that's the best thing that you could do in this case, because again, like if you want to get more out of your time, unless our goal is literally just like, conditioning which i would say if that's the case there's probably better conditioning methods than even then than doing 50 reps like a systemic metabolic phase is a perfect example of like okay we get better conditioning out of this um but 
yeah, it's just not going to be as effective as it could be. And also like, I don't know about you, but I feel like once I get past 15 reps, I'm like, fuck this. I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, there's just something about high reps. Like it has to, it's brutal to think about doing 50 reps of anything. Um, I know like when we the highest first, reps that you program for anybody, 15 to 20. Yeah. I would say, and it's, I would say even like going over 15 is relatively rare. So like for something like a lateral raise, occasionally like a bicep curl or a leg extension, I'll typically, I'll program like 10 to 15. So we have a little bit broader range to work with, but I, it's pretty rare that I'll go over 15, honestly. What about you? Yeah, yeah me too. Same. Yeah. And in my own training too, like I haven't gone over 10 in a very long time. <laughs> 50. I mean, I know that 30 is technically like what they've found to still be effective, but I just can't even imagine that that would be not too much to where, because it feels like the first, I don't know, 10 at least reps when you're doing 30. And so like 20 to 30 um, first reps when you're doing 50 would be just like nothing. Like you have to use such a lightweight to get to that number of reps that the, that many in the beginning of it would just be like, you're not getting any tension. You're just basically swinging this light, super lightweight, and then it just starts to burn too much so that right. you have to put it down by 50. So you're not yeah. really taking the, the muscle through enough tension to, to get an effective stimulus. And that's the, that's the thing to understand is like the first like half of that set, you're not really getting anything out of it. So why not just do like a set of eight to 15? You can get this, you can actually get more benefit for less time invested. You don't have to hit your life so much. Like there's not really any downsides and there's a lot of positive to it. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, I know you got a question as well. Fire away. Yeah. So if you have limited access to heavier weight, can you get the same effect by slowing down your reps? This is an interesting question. So uh, to an extent, yes, but I think yes and no. Like what I would say is there's not a point like for the con for the concentric portion of a rep, right? Which is where typically we're pushing or pulling a weight, right? Like the ch most challenging part of the rep, the raising phase we could think of, um, there's not going to be any additional benefit. And actually there's probably going to be some detriments to like intentionally trying to slow that part of it down. So like the contraction portion of the rep. So for example, like if we're thinking of chest pressing, the portion where you're pushing, or if they're thinking of pull movement, but the portion where you're pulling the weight towards you, if anything, it'll probably be like detrimental because part of that is going to like, if we pull or push that explosively, we're going to activate more fast switch muscle fibers, which have a greater ability to grow. So it wouldn't make sense to try to slow that down. I would say to an extent, like the negative, we could get more. Like if we slow it, if you're just like dropping the weight, for example, and we slow it down to about a three second negative there, we're going to get more benefit from that because some of that is like some of muscle growth is also going to come from like stretching a muscle under load, like applying tension through the eccentric portion of the lift. But again, past that, just like slowing it down in and of itself, we're probably not going to get any additional benefits from. What I would look at in that case is like doing something rather than just like trying to do super slow reps. I would look at things like, okay, for my pushing movements, for my squat patterns, can I add in band tension here? 
right? To make it a little bit harder where the rep is normally easier. So like, for example, like if we do go from like a chest press, a dumbbell chest press to like a banded dumbbell chest press where we have that band wrapped around each handle of dumbbell and behind our back, normally like the top half of that movement is going to be easier, but here we're like adding more tension with the band so we can make it a little bit more challenging. Or we could flip that on its head and like we could spend more time in the lengthened position by doing like one and a half rep chest presses where we're going like all the way down, halfway back up, back down, back up. We're getting quality tension where the movement is the hardest and like that would be that would be more conducive to muscle growth than like i really would say like i would be pretty hesitant to try to like just keep slowing down your tempo because you probably won't keep experiencing gains from that what's your take on that yeah i agree with all of that so they've found that volume is the main driver of hypertrophy. But I think that with that, it's kind of like whenever you're doing a study, that's kind of a foolproof way of making sure that you get enough tension on the muscle. Um, There's also a big component of tension. So with slowing down the reps, you can get a bit more tension on the muscle with the same weight that you're using. So you're still, so maybe like if you're using a 15 pound dumbbell, um, you could get to one RIR at like eight reps versus 12, you know, for example. Um, so there is that, but you have to be close. Like you can't do dumbbell deadlifts with 10 pounds where you normally would be able to use 185 pounds and still get anything out of it. Even if it's like a 10 second eccentric. So I think that there is some value in slowing down the eccentric but you still have to be somewhere in the ballpark of your max weight that you would use for that number of reps um, to be able to get that benefit. So like if you have limited for any clients that have limited uh, weight, I will have them slow down and or add a pause at the bottom of a movement or um, do like one and a half reps, like you mentioned. But I, th- I think a better um, thing to use is the bands, like you said, because that's going to add yeah. a lot, like quite a bit more tension than just slowing down the reps. And you can do a combination of all of those things in order to try and get more stimulus out of the same weight. But at some point, like if you are beyond that amount of strength, then you're just going to have to somehow access more weight, put a backpack on, um, you know, all of those things that we did for stay at home workouts (laughs) last year. Um, just like try and somehow add some more load to your body so that you can get a good amount of work out of that weight. Okay. So I'm going to pose this question to you. Do you think that there's going to be an additional benefit? Like if this from going from like a five second eccentric to a 10 second eccentric. Like, do you think that's actually going to be more beneficial tension or do you think it's basically going to be the same? I don't think so. I think with five to 10. So I guess whenever I'm saying there is a bit of added stimulus, whenever you're Mm -hmm. slowing down the rep, I'm thinking like from one second where you're just bottoming out real, really quickly to like Mm -hmm. three to four seconds. That is a huge benefit from five seconds to 10 seconds. No, in my opinion, that just like, fatigues you so that you're you're not able to get that muscle to the amount of volume and tension that you would have been able to if you went a bit quicker i'd say the 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 range that i would try and keep people in is like two to four seconds on the eccentric my thoughts exactly i love it um i think we're very much in agreement there 
So the next question I had was um, on Eugene Teo's current cutting protocol. It was someone that I have learned a ton from actually. So basically what he's doing is eating 1,000 to 1,200 calories per day. Um, he is basically doing this for six to eight weeks. And then he mentioned I'll do this. He mentioned I'll do this for about six to eight weeks total, though I'll probably need to increase the intake slightly as we get leaner, as I definitely will be risking a lot more muscle loss. Um, technically, with my stats and body fat percentage, an 1,800 to 2,000 calorie intake would be considered relatively aggressive. Um, so if you're thinking about this, maybe look to them for... Oh, Okay, that's about someone else. But basically, he's just talking about like him, like Martin McDonald from Mac Nutrition, also is an advocate of pretty aggressive dieting. But basically, he's eating 1,000 to 1,200 calories per day. It sounds like for somewhere about four to six weeks, then he might increase the intake slightly. So the question that uh, Kai actually asked this, shout out to Kai, always the plug for excellent memes, except for he posted one the other day that was so sad. It was like, Something about a dude like going to a fortune teller and the fortune teller told him you're going to have a super sad experience or, or you're going to have like a very sad experience in 12 years. So the dude was like, man, I'm so sad. I'm going to go buy a dog to cheer myself up. Oh, no. And I was like, awful. I, I know. I, and that immediately is like, I hate to think about that. But uh, outside of that, shout out to Kai. Um, basically, he was asking, who would you program something similar for or would you ever program anything like it? What's your take? So there are people that will use this for um, like mini cuts. I, I would classify mm-hmm. that as a mini cut, like four to six that weeks. That Extremely aggressive. So the people that I've seen use that are like him, uh, Eugene Tao, or like Dr. Mike Isratel. Um, mm-hmm. People that are really experienced, um, Real can like get in it, stick to it because they can pretty much like you know stick to anything that it's gonna progress them with their bodybuilding and then get back out and just return to the normal programming. I wouldn't use that with any like gen pop clients for sure, um, just because I you'd have to take like most women you'd have to take their calories so low. I just don't like I can't imagine anybody wanting to or being able to stick to that consistently for even four to six weeks, which in the grand scheme of a cut is fairly quick. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily worse, but I just don't think it's practical for almost anybody. Uh, with a slower cut, you can still see quick enough results like one uh, half to percent to 1% per week is what we always aim for. And that's, you know, with most people, it's going to be like a pound, pound and a half per week. Um, and that is quick enough to see good progress, slow enough that you can still incorporate a lot of like normal life things like meals out or like dessert every once in a while or wine every once in a while. And it also, I think, does such a better job of teaching you how to eat in a healthy manner for the long term. So cutting your calories to that amount means you're going to have to focus on lean protein. You're going to have to include a lot of vegetables, but then you have a little bit of buffer room. And then what happens when you move back up into maintenance is your buffer room just kind of expands. You still have lots of lean protein. You still have lots of vegetables, but now you have a bit more room for other things. 
Um, so in my opinion, that's just far superior for anybody that's not like a professional bodybuilder, but yeah. I don't, I'm not saying like that wouldn't work. It's just that you'd have to eat like basically protein only, like live on just chicken and protein powder and not much. Yeah, it's else. basically just protein and veggies that you're eating. Yeah, point. exactly. Uh, I agree. I think that you would definitely have to be, there's nothing wrong with this approach by any means, but it would definitely have to be a more experienced dieter, right? Like if it's your first time dieting and you're just trying to figure out how to eat satiated protein, how to eat satiated foods, how to get enough protein, you're going to have a bad time, right? Like I've, I've done, so for example, like I've done mini cuts within the last year where I've been at like 1500 to 1600 for like four or five weeks, right? Really is not, not too bad, but it was basically like I was just eating like, as you said, very lean protein and veggies and maybe like i was able to get in one serving of fruit per day um but that's so it's if you understand how to use satiated foods and also you're okay with just not having a social life like not or not necessarily not having a social life but not having like social drinks or any meals out then yeah you could do this but again like if you want to have some lifestyle flexibility you want to be able to go out at least once a weekend and like get some drinks and things like that like it's probably not going to work very well because almost all of your calories are just going to have to come from, or a large chunk of your calories are going to have to come from protein in that case. And like, we still want to hit like our body's nutrient needs the best of our ability. And again, like if you're not getting in a decent amount of veggies and protein by this point, you're just going to be so damn hungry. So like, that's just going to have to take up like almost all of your calories. There's just like very little room for error there. So like, again, like if you are, more advanced if you're a coach if you're someone that's very that's like dieted a lot in the past and you're very good at the skill of that and you're okay with being less flexible i think it would 100 be an okay approach i would again like as he mentioned in that post as well like just like we do with mini cuts like we do want it to be a short period of time that we're doing this like the more aggressive we are the shorter the duration needs to be because we don't want to lose muscle tissue um but the are you the one that that gave the analogy of like the race car like the race car isn't dangerous. It's just who is driving it or something. I think something Jordan Lips did that. Okay. Yeah. Was that on your podcast? Yeah. Anyway. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, the, I think that's a really good analogy. Like if you're just like I the regular agree. person that's not driven a car, you're going to, you can't go 120 miles an hour or you're going to wreck. And, but if you're right. more experienced, then that's obviously really fine. Uh, I, I think that the main concern here was if, if someone's trying to use that approach and they keep falling off of it every few days, but, and that's, they're not, probably not falling off of it with a bunch of fruits and vegetables. <laughs> so then it's like, you get into this point where you have like basically meat only like lean protein, hardly any extras, not enough vegetables to meet like the minimum daily requirements. And then you have a bunch of junk food. So you're just trying to like extend it and extend it and you go through like months of this, not having any micronutrients in your, in your diet. If you get in and And, out of it, then there's no like really health detriment because you're not going that extended period of a time without the, the micronutrient dense foods. That is such a good point. I just posted about this the other day because I think that a lot of clients who start with us are coming from this place where they like have basically been trying to do this is like, Hey, I have been trying to eat 1200 calories. Um, but it's like, hey, I'm so damn hungry. I stick to it like three to four days a week, completely fall off the wagon for like 
three days. But again, it is still like, okay, your body is spending a lot of time in the deficit. You're not getting any nutrients. And then we do get in this place where like health starts to suffer. You're still getting all these negative ramifications, ramifications of dieting, but you haven't actually lost any body fat, which is the worst place to be. So it's there very much. Like that's where like the idea of basic dieting that we use with our clients comes in where it's like, Hey, let's spend some time focusing on eating more, um, building lean muscle tissue, bringing your metabolism back up. And let's potentially diet, or at very least, let's try to just be a little bit less aggressive. Like, let's go to sixteen hundred instead of twelve hundred. And while that might be scary because it's already like I'm only eating twelve hundred and I'm not losing, understand that like you eating twelve hundred three days per week and then like falling off the wagon for three or four days a week, really like your calorie average is not at all like twelve hundred across the week, right? So almost always like by us eating more, actually, if you can see the plan better your average across just a couple of weeks is lower. And all of a sudden, like we see weight loss, right? So it's, I think just an important thing to understand. Did you have anything else to add to that? Nope. Cool. Okay. So I saw somebody post this on his story. Uh, I think it was Matt McLeod who posted this. I just thought these were interesting questions, kind of his year in review. And I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Can you just get your take on this? We don't have to work through all of them, but one, what is the book or books um, let's say three books that have greatly influenced your life. Mm. I really, so from this year though, let's, let's say just in general, this not okay. this year. Uh, cause I can't remember when I've read different ones. Um, I really like the compound effect a lot. That's a great oh, book. Really good. Yeah. Um, how to win the war in your mind is a really good one. That one's okay. um, by Craig Rochelle. The first one, I honestly can't remember the guys, the the author's name. Do you remember it? Um, is it Darren Hardy? That sounds right. I think it is. And third, I'm pretty sure I read those two this year or at least close to this year. Okay. Third. Gosh, I don't know. Lord of the Rings. What? Lord of the Rings? Lord I haven't read that, actually. <laughs> I resist read all of, of those, like those ones that are read by everybody. Um, okay. I, Gosh, I hate to even say Atomic Habits because it's so cliche, and I think I mentioned That's it. It's going to be one of mine. But I really like it. It's just so good. And I use yeah. those things with so many people, with so many clients. So I guess I have to, to use that one again <laughs> for the second podcast. I love it. <laughs> Atomic Habits is definitely one of mine as well. Turning like, pro? Uh, I don't know, actually. Atomic Habits is definitely one. I don't think Turning Pro would be like one of my top three. Uh, I feel like Atomic Habits just changed the way so much I thought about like, okay, I have all these things that I don't like, like I, all these habits that I, which I didn't even think about them as habits, but rather character traits. And like that was helpful to look at it as like, okay, I'm not like just a weak, lazy, unmotivated person. I just have like systems that are like, I don't have the right systems in place. So thus I don't have the habits I want. So rather than like, just like telling myself I'm a piece of shit and this is the way I'm wired. Okay. Why don't I just like focus on changing my systems and then my habits will change. And to me, that was like such a crazy thing, but that's really how it works. Right. <laughs> and I think so many people are stuck in this, like I'm a piece of shit. I'm just not motivated. And all these people I see on Instagram are motivated where it's like, like for me, that was one of the things that led like understanding that was one of the things that led me to hire a coach where it was like, okay, I'm not following through with what I want. 
as far as my nutrition and my training. And I tell myself I'm going to do this every week and I don't. Right. So how can I like create a different system to make it more likely for me to follow through with this and harder for me not to? Okay. I'm going to pay somebody a considerable amount of money to hold me accountable. They're going to create the structure around it. I don't want to let them down. Nor do I want to let myself down. And that was like a life changing concept for me. Um, so I do also love atomic habits. Uh, another one that was very, very helpful for me was the mastery of self by Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, I don't, it's hard to, so in like 2016, when Katie and I broke up after dating for like four years and the next couple of years were very much like a time of like intense personal development for me. Cause I like hated myself before then. Um, and so that for me was like a very helpful book with just like understanding basically how, and I like really didn't like any, I really like very few people as well. I was just like an angry, unhappy person. For me, that was a very helpful book with just like understanding that all these judgments that I was placing on other people were basically just reflections of the judgments that I was placing on myself. So that was super helpful. This third one is kind of hard for me. Um, the book Loving What Is by Byron Katie is also actually a very good one. The Big Leap is such a good one. Oh, man. Fuck. I don't know if I can actually even choose a third one. Um, the compound effect was a good one as well. I really, I would say like, again, like taking it back to the same time frame. like the first book I started reading for personal development was actually the book, how to win friends and influence people in like 2016 or like right around, I think that was probably like 2015 when I read that. But again, right around that time when I was like trying to figure out like, okay, how do I like get out of this place where I'm stuck right now? Uh, I don't think it was necessarily because of the content in that book, but I feel like that like started to change the way I think a lot. I th- wow, I thought <laughs> a lot. Uh, and in turn, that was very helpful for me. I also really like the book Mastery by Robert Greene. That's another last, last book I'll throw out there. Um, that was another one that was very helpful. Have you read that book? I haven't read that one. Okay, okay. That's, it's another very good one. It's basically just like, Talk, it talks about like Beethoven and um, all these people that were like masters in their field and actually takes you through like the hours and hours and years and years that they just did just focusing on like mastering their craft um, rather than like they weren't just like overnight successes. It's, it's, a, it's a cool, it's a very good book and it's cool to like how he applies it to all these historical figures. Um, next question. What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months or recent memory? $100 or less? Goodness. You go first on this one. (laughs) I'm going to have to think. Versa Grips, without a doubt. Versa Grips is a good one. I, I was sitting here thinking like, Nothing is under a hundred dollars anymore. Like I don't have anything <laughs> that's under a hundred dollars. Our our uh application for Kobe was under a hundred dollars. Oh, okay. I like that. <laughs> so for the listeners that don't know, Kobe is Andrea's new dog. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that. Um uh, how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a favorite failure of yours? The, I mean, my mind all automatically obviously goes to 
coaching because of the setting here, but all, all of the failures that I had with coaching early on, I learned so much from, and then like just kept pivoting until I felt like I was finally starting to like rack up some success with my clients. Like we were just talking about um, like what you were, what, what you had changed from earlier on in coaching and um, Mm -hmm. like what you've learned from that. And I feel like there's so many things, (laughs) but um, a big one is just like not sticking with the systems that I knew was going to work. Like I would just basically like try and have a different, a different everything with every single client just to like perfectly match it to what they needed. And that ends up with nobody getting what they need. Like the client isn't. So like from systems. Yeah. So like each person would have like, even down to check-ins would be a little bit different. Some people wanted to do a phone call and some people wanted to work good with email. And then I would just like change everything that I knew would be best to try and make sure that every client got what they wanted rather than what they needed. And so that was like a big failure with coaching um, earlier on. And that has taught me a ton. Um, There's been so many, like just so, well, so many with coaching, so many with training. I don't know if I have a favorite. That's tough. There's so That's, many. That is a good parenting. point. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine parenting has a lot. Yeah. I love how it goes. To, I, uh, that is such a good point though. I don't really did the same thing for a long time where it is easy to like think that like, Hey, I'm going to change all my systems. Like, Hey, we normally just email, but Hey, you want to text? Okay. That's fine. Or Hey, like this is a tracker we fill out, but you don't want to fill it out. Okay. Hey, why don't you just text me that stuff? And it's like, what actually happens is that client doesn't get any results. Right. Whereas yeah. it's, Hey, we have developed these systems for a very clear reason. We want to meet you at where you're at as a client, as far as like customizing your protocols, how we can, like how we speak to you, um, whether we're like pushing you a little bit harder or we're like, maybe you need us to be a little bit more empathetic and like everything within that we customize to the client, but like from our systems, whenever someone comes in and it is like, Hey, I don't want to fill this out. I'm just going to do this instead. Not, it's not an option to like, it's either like you do this or you're not on board with us because it's, it just never works out for the client. And basically it just turns into a frustrating experience for both parties. So I love that. I would say favorite failure for me is definitely leaving the gym. So like when I left in 2018, I was still, because none of this would have happened. Like we wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened. So within that, like basically what happened was they had, like I had refused to sign a non-compete with the gym that I worked with because I was like trying to build like our coaching company, which is here today. But um, I only had like four or five clients at the time I had started, like I had been consistently creating content. I was writing a lot of blogs for Mind Pump and like starting to put stuff out there. And then like when, uh, basically everything kind of came to a head where they gave me with an ultimatum. It was either like a, Hey, you have to, you are going to start coaching for us online and you can like take over. Like we want to build this online coaching program and you can build that out for us. 
or like you have to stop with the online coaching thing. So basically what I decided to do was like, well, here's my two weeks. Like I can't do this for anybody else. Like I know what I want to build. It's got to be for me though. Um, and I was planning on just taking all my clients with me and just going to train them at another gym while I continue in person while I continue to build a business. But basically then what happened was like, well, and I don't, I have never like looked in the actual legality of this. Like, I don't know if they could have actually sued me or not, but like, they were like, no, like you actually can't do that. Even though you didn't sign this not repeat, it's still out there. We're going to potentially sue you. If you like do anything with this, you can't train anybody within a 30 mile radius for the next, what, three months. So for me, that was uh, like, that was the most stressful time, but I'm also so glad it happened because that, like I had my back against the wall. It was like, okay, I have like three clients right now. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent, but we got to figure something out. But again, like that's why if that wouldn't have happened, I don't think any of this would be here. So, um, definitely something that I'm very grateful for. Yeah, that's, that's a big one. That's a cool story. Um, next one I have for you, when you feel final one, when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or have lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? Or I get some alone time. What? Or what questions do you ask yourself? Oh, I just, I just need to get some alone time whenever that kind of stuff happens. I'm introverted. Uh, so like my recharging is just like time with quiet, (laughs) um, Anytime that there's, that there's like, I'm feeling overwhelmed, you know, a lot of times it's, it has to do with not necessarily a lot of things going on, but just like a lot of noise and clutter. So Mm -hmm. I will clean up my space. Like one of my favorite quotes is outer order, inner calm. Um, That's from happiness project book, Gretchen Rubin. She's also the four tendencies or the um, abstainer and moderator person. So, um, outer order intercom is like a big deal for me. If things are cluttered and messy and dirty, I feel like antsy and chaotic. So like picking things up and then like while the boys do their Nintendo or whatever, or eat dinner or something, I will just go in the dark playroom (laughs) and sit by myself for a bit and just have some like quiet time. And that helps me not feel overwhelmed. I, I like that. I imagine that like with like our situations are so much different where like <laughs> I have so much alone time. I mean, I guess if you count Indigo's always here in my office, <laughs> but like it's so much different for you. I imagine just like having some quiet time is amazing. <laughs> yeah. I like the, a lot of the chaotic times like Uh, I put up a video on Instagram of like the boys were wrestling around and the dogs were wrestling each other. And it was like, I love that. It's fun. But every once in a while, it's like, okay, it's just getting a bit too much. I'm going to take some time and then I'll be back into it in a few minutes. Yeah, I can see that. I feel like if I'm around a lot of people for like six hours, I need to like just go be in silence for a bit. And it's just like a wave of relief that washes over me. So I can imagine. I feel like... I don't feel like I ever really get the feeling of being overwhelmed. I've never, I never really feel like that. I never feel like, Oh my gosh, there's just like too much to do, but I definitely like feel unfocused. 
And it, then as always, I'm just pissed at myself for feeling unfocused. And it's like, you could be more productive. And it just, I think for me, I always journal. That's the most helpful thing for me. Just yeah. digging into, I'll just ask myself, why am I doing what I'm doing today? Um, and actually digging into that is very, very helpful. Sometimes I'll go for a walk as well. And again, just like, I'll usually put, I'll leave my AirPods in and just like set my phone to record and just talk to myself again. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why is this important? Where do I want to be? What do I need to do to get there? What do my actions need to look like to get there for me like that? And again, just, I think being proactive about managing it is the most helpful thing for me. Like if I fall out of the habit of journaling yeah. in the mornings, then I quickly get into like weeks where I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I don't feel very motivated. I don't feel very focused. And it's like, different than how I normally feel when I'm on top of that. And I'm like, there's all this stuff that I'm just like excited to be doing. So I think like really, I think one of the most important things within that is just being proactive about managing it and like putting yourself in a situation where you don't have to like have that as often. But also I think that's a different situation for like me versus you where you can't like have your kids just like <laughs> not be crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah. We can try, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> Especially in the winter cool. when you can't just send them out to play. What's that? Especially in the winter when you can't just send them out to play. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, those are all the questions I have for you. As always, thank you guys all for tuning in. And we will talk to you all next time.